for a word of prayer as you're turning to Romans chapter 1. You go right ahead and I'm going to open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to be here in this sacred pulpit. Lord, I don't take it lightly. I know the responsibility that Pastor Anania has to allow men of God to be in this pulpit, Lord, and I know that I'm not worthy except for the fact that you're in my life, Lord, and I thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that you use me tonight. I pray that I'm not seen, but that you're seen, Lord. I pray that I can challenge the heart of those that hear that are your children, Lord, and I pray that those that may not know you as Lord and Savior, that they'd come to know you before it's eternally too late. I want to thank you for all you do in my life every single day, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So Romans chapter 1, if you'll just park there for a minute, but I want to talk to you about America and its spiritual death. Um, our label is a Christian nation, and it has been, but more so than a Christian nation now, we're more of a politically correct nation. Uh, people are always looking to throw God out of everything. Um, we need to we need to kind of look at that and and understand why and where that plays a part with us. Voting, you got a lot of voting coming up soon in the fall election. You got the midterms, and it's sad to think that people that claim that they're Christians, the way they vote, a lot of them are voting fiscally. Let me tell you, you know what? We should be voting spiritually. Now you can't sit here technically and tell you how to vote, but look. As a Christian, as a child of God, you should be able to look at your Bible and look at what's available and not worry about who's going to take care of your fiscal responsibilities. The Lord is. Who owns everything? The Lord does. Don't vote your pocketbook. You know, for me, and again, I'm not telling you how to vote. When I vote, I look at where they stand on abortion and the homosexual agenda because I know where my God stands on those issues. So I'm just challenging you to look at ourselves and what America is going to a lot of that falls on our responsibility as Christians for what we have not done. So if you'd look in, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, and it's going to be lengthy down to the end of the chapter, but just kind of a slight picture of America today. And if you start in verse 21, it says, Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man, and of the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things, that wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto their vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error which was meet. That's your homosexual agendas. And even after they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boaster, uh, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Imagine that right in the middle of everything else. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, abortionists, impla implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy, that not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, if you can't tell me that doesn't sound like America, you find me another passage that does. So my question is, why are so many Christians apathetic? We, we see this in America, but where is our interest and our concern? Seems to me those that call themselves Christian are indifferent. 
Brother Baines was preaching, and he talked about the debt that we owe. And we do. We owe a great debt. Um, I know that in other sermons where I'm, I'm, and he talked about the great gift that we have in our salvation, and it's true. I know that when I was a child, when uh, we would have Christmas, I would get that gift that was something that I just could not, could not wait to tell my friends. And my parents were good. They would get up and they'd, look, I'm not telling you who believes in Santa or who doesn't and how you do your home. I'm just saying I was in an unsaved home. We did the Santa thing at the time. All right? I'm just telling you that's how it was for me. But they would wait till we fell asleep at 3 in the morning, waiting for, for everything to happen. And they'd get up when we fell asleep. And at 3.30, we'd wake up and we'd get our parents out of bed. And I didn't know why they were so tired. We slept, I thought. So we'd get out and we'd open them. But my parents would give me a warning and tell me right then and there, do not call anybody. It's 4 a.m. You're going to have to wait. And what did I want to do? I wanted to share that gift that I had. And our salvation is the greatest gift that's ever been given to man. And yet we sit here and we're indifferent to tell others. Why? Why? Our Christian nation as a moniker has become an empty label. We, like I said, we call ourselves a Christian nation, but are we? It's kind of like going down there and getting that, that item off the shelf at the store and opening that box for which you thought you bought and it ain't there. We're an empty label. We're the, fa- the fastest growing religion, like I said in our, my testimony the other night, is no religion. And most of the other stuff that's going around is fundamentally incorrect. There's a lot of false religions out there. Removal of all things that are Christian in our institutions, our schools, our society, and our government. Um, time at Christmas down in San Diego, they uh, rent out these, they build these big uh, areas to display nativity scenes and such that churches can put up their displays. But you know what? They're remaining empty. And the ones that are being bought up are being bought up by the Satanists. And they're leaving them empty or they're putting ungodly things inside them. They don't want God. You know, Christ as a little baby when I was growing up was innocent and it was okay and people would celebrate that. But there's an attack even on activity now. They don't want God in any shape, form, or fashion. Our, our nation has turned its back. Do we as Christians share blame for what's going on? I want to look at that just for a minute tonight. Have our hearts grown hard and cold? In Hosea 10:12 and Jeremiah 4:3, it talks about breaking up that fallow ground of our heart. We get hard sometimes. You know, you might have been saved and been, been uh, in the faith for a long time. But sometimes your heart, gets, your heart gets a little bit hard. We hear the same thing over and over and it doesn't move us like it did one time when we first got saved. So we need to look at some things here, just three quick points. And like I said, I won't labor them, but I want to get across to you the importance of this. But first off, the indications of a hardening heart. First off, the preaching of God, uh, his word no longer moves you. If you look over in, in Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2, it says, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The pastors are preaching their hearts out to the congregation, and yet the altars remain empty. The pastor comes up here and he prepares a message with God's laid on his heart, and you don't move. We get so stubborn and proud that, well, I can deal with God sitting in my seat. Are we ashamed of that, our, our Savior? There's something different from sitting in a comfortable seat, and praise the Lord, we have comfort here, but to come down to the altar and kneel down to our God and lay prostrate at his feet, laid open, and saying, God, you're everything and I'm nothing. 
Can we move? Can we move? The, the Bible here says, as the heart, as that deer is panting for water. Have you ever been in such a, you know, a, a state that you desire a thirst for something? Um, some of you men, you work some hard, back-breaking, blue-collar jobs. And where I'm at in the Central Valley, where it gets to 110 degrees, like it has been, and we come up here, and it's so refreshing to us, but we get men and, and ladies that are out there working in that heat, and it's so oppressive. And, and, and they're going and, and working... And they get an opportunity to quench that thirst. And you get that, that iced tea or that ice water, and it's just it's got the condensation just down the outside of that glass, and you get it, and you just can't get enough. Can I have more? Can I just have more? Do you have a thirst for the things of God that you once had? Do you have that panting as that deer coming to the brook that's ran and finds that cool stream and wants to just lap up as much as they can? Do you have a desire for God like you once had? Is there that thirst in you when the word of God is preached that it moves you to want to get closer to God? Or is it just, well, you know what? Just a preacher and it's the same old sermon. I've heard it a hundred times. I've been saved 20 years. And you're not moved by the word of God. Do you understand that that salvation that you got, that, that freedom that you got, that, that crucified Savior that gave you life, should move you every time the book is open. Is there a thirst in your soul? Is it unquenchable? Do, do the things of God, can you not get enough? Is it like Chinese food? You eat it and then you're hungry again. I mean, is there a desire that doesn't stop, that says more, give me more? You see, when we eat normal food, we can get to a point where we're filled and you just don't want any more. But with the things of God, when we're reading God's word, it's never satisfying enough. You always want more. Do you have that unquenchable desire? Second, or another thing, things of God become less important to you. You become indifferent to church and fellowship and meetings. Was, you know, there was a time that you would know that the doors of the church were going to be open, and you couldn't wait till Sunday or Wednesday got there, or special meetings like you're having, and you were like, Man, I can't wait to get to church. I can't wait. Maybe you were lined up to do a special like this young lady here has done some specials this week. There should be a desire that says, hey, I get to go to church and I get to praise God. I get to be there and I get to worship the one that saved my soul. Is there a desire? Is it, you know what? Man, it's church tonight. I got to work tomorrow. I really don't want to go. What are you living for? That job that you're so worried about, God gave that to you. You ought to be in the house of God thanking him for that job you got not at home worrying about what, how tired you're going to be because you've got to go to, oh, we got a meeting. We've got to go three times this week. Be thankful it ain't like the old days when they did two weeks at a time, sometimes a month. Brother talked about doing three months straight. You know, we ought to be thankful. Another thing to, that your heart is, hard, uh, is hardening is the, your reliance upon self rather than God. You're having more of a reliance on self then God, Philippians 4.13 talks about doing all things through Christ, but later it becomes Colossians 2.8 where we're spoiled by philosophy and vain deceit and the traditions of men. Do you rely on yourself now or do you still come to God? What do you do with the things, the problems in life that you face? Have you become self-reliant? You think you're a self-made man? Ain't nobody self-made. That breath you just took was given by God. Well, I'm a self-made man. I get up in the morning, I pull on pants, 
Everything you got, the strength you have to stand on your feet is because God gave it to you. Ain't nothing you got that ain't been given. You can't sit here and tell me anything you have. Everything is because of God. Don't be relying on yourself. You're slipping away. You're hardening. Another thing is your positions and your convictions change or waver. You compromise. Compromise kills strong Christianity. It hands victories over to our enemies. When we weaken our faith and our convictions, Hebrews 10.38 says that we live by faith, but if we draw back, his soul has no pleasure in us. Galatians 4.9.11, Paul laments the fact that he invested in, into uh, those at the church there, and they were turning their back to their old ways. Let me ask you, who is invested in you? And why would you waver on your convictions? Pastor Ananias poured his life over the last several years into this congregation. And Paul said, you know, I worry that I've wasted my time in investing in you. It worries me that I've poured myself into you and you want to go back to the old ways. Who's invested in you? Who's taken the time to teach you the things of God that you would want to go back to those things of the world? You know, he brings in speakers. You have a conference this week. And you may think, well, you know what, our pastor's good enough. And praise the Lord, this is a good man of God. I'm thankful for my pastor. I've been under my pastor's ministry for 29 years almost. And I can tell you from day one in January 94 when I got to that church to today, he has not wavered or compromised on one iota. He's the same man that was in that pulpit when I got there, and he's the same man today when I get back. He has not at all dipped the colors of the faith. And I'll stand by that to the day I die. But look, when pastor brings in men of God, Brother Baines and myself, that I don't count worthy, and I'm sure Brother Baines don't count himself worthy. Brother Anania don't count himself worthy to be up here. But look, God's chosen us to come and present things to you to challenge your heart. But in Ecclesiastes 1.9, it says there's nothing new under the sun. So look, I come here presenting stuff that he's only told you for the last five years. Did Brother Baines teach us anything new yesterday? He did not. But the idea of bringing in different people is, the Holy Spirit delivers things differently through other people. I'm not giving you anything new, but in order to stir you up and bring you into remembrance, he uses different people. But look, we have to understand, we don't want to be wasting the men of God in what they invest in you. Don't let your heart get hardened. Don't let your heart get hardened. Number two, the results of a hardening heart. You have a loss of joy. Psalm 51.12 talks about David when he uh, had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He says, restore the joy of thy salvation. All right? So one of, the <clears throat> one of the results of that hardening heart is you lose your joy. You have to understand, happiness is fleeting. You can go out and find something to make you happy. Some of you guys like to go out and fish. It makes you happy. Some of y'all like to go out and hunt. It makes you happy. But it's fleeting. You understand that happiness is dependent on situation. But having a joy is dependent on an individual. Our joy is in Jesus Christ because come rain or shine, come debt, come riches, come sickness, come health, what's your joy? It's the Savior. My joy, I can be in the worst situation and have a joy knowing that I have a Savior that loves me. Our joy is so important, and we lose that joy when we get a hardened heart. 
We lose our peace, Psalm 4.8. I will lay me down in peace and sleep. We lose our peace when we have a hardened heart. We lay there in the bed and things trouble us. Without a raising a hand, how many of you, and don't raise your hand, how many of you have laid there and thought about the next day saying, how am I going to meet that bill? How am I going to get through that job? How am I going to be able to do this and that? What about that health? What about this? What about that? What about this? Don't dwell on those things. You're losing your peace. When your heart starts to harden, you're not looking at the person that can control all these things. You're looking at circumstances that you think you control, and you don't. Let me ask you, when you're laying there staring at the ceiling in the middle of the night at 2 in the morning, worrying about how you're going to produce money to pay a bill that you have no control over, why not, instead of worrying, looking at the ceiling at 2 a.m., get out of your bed and get on your knees and start talking to your father? Don't lose your sleep and your peace. Another thing is the return to your past lifestyle. Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 2, and verse 20. Return to your past lifestyle. Second Peter chapter 2, and verse 20, it says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, and the later end is worse to them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. The worst people in the world are Christians. Won't even look you in the eye when you walk down that grocery aisle. They'll look and go five aisles over to avoid you. But look what it says here. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog has turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed were wallowing in the mire. Your return to, the, to your past lifestyle, God likens it as to a dog that yaks and then eats it. How tasty is that? Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. Your dog, you're looking around and you're all of a sudden you hear that. <laughs> you're like, where is he at? <laughs> get him out before it's, ah. Oh. And by the time you go to get something to clean it up, it's gone. <laughs> oh, it wasn't magic. That dog went over there and ate his yak right back up. When we go back to our lifestyle, God says that when I look down on that, it's as if a dog ate his own yak. Don't turn back to your old lifestyle. Your heart hardening will have you think that there is something better. Look, you left your old lifestyle because he delivered you from something that you were unhappy in. Those things of the world, they don't bring you happiness, but the Lord will bring you that joy. Worse yet, found in Proverbs 22, 28, is to remove not the ancient landmarks. It's the end of a lineage. When you harden your heart and you turn away and go back, if you're saved, we all know that you're secure. We understand we won't lose our salvation because I did nothing to get me saved. I ain't doing nothing to keep me saved. That's all in the hand of the Father. He does all the saving and he does all the keeping. But what happens if we end our lineage? So I turn back from walking with the Lord. I break my fellowship. I have my, I have my fire insurance policy. The Lord loved me and saved me. For all eternity. But the end of a lineage. What about your kids? When you get, you get your feathers rustled up a little bit in the church here, and I'm going to pack up, and that old preacher ain't going to tell me nothing, and they can keep that, and they can keep their fellowships, and they can keep their bear stew, chili, whatever. They can keep it all. I don't want none of it. I don't want nothing to do with it. I don't like that guy, Brother Bill. He's got a bad beard anyways. He's a freak. I don't like the guy. 
Every time I walk in, he stares at me. He's got one eye that wanders. I don't even know who he's looking at. But, 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 but look, you get all offended and you leave. Okay, you got saved, but what if you got kids? What if you got kids? What if you got grandkids? Because your little pride, your little ego got stroked the wrong way and you all upset, you're willing to condemn people to hell over it. And not only just people, but your loved ones that are under your roof. You end a lineage. When you let that get in there, you can end a lineage. So how do I avoid a hardening heart, finally? Well, avoid some joy thieves. Don't be a complainer. Don't be a complainer. Don't come with problems. Come with solutions. The pastor says, we got this and this. Well, pastor, we got this, and this is really bad, and oh, I can't believe it, blah, 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 and there's a hole in the roof. Well, go get a hammer and a nail and put on board up there and stop crying about it. Stop complaining. Come with answers, not complaining. Don't gossip. Don't gossip. You know how you get gossip? Look, we've been in our church this long, 29 years, and I've seen people come and go. And I've seen some of those people call some people, and they say, hey, so-and-so called us. You know who never gets a phone call? I never get a phone call. You know why? Because I'm loyal to my pastor. I'm loyal to my God, and they know it. And I'll tell you something else. Here's another little trick. You want to stop somebody from gossiping? Well, how come they come and talk to me all the time? Well, maybe you listen a whole lot. Hmm? Hmm? Maybe you listen a whole lot. You know how you stop them from coming to you, Miss Gossiper or Gossipy? This is how you do that. So-and-so comes up to you and says, hey, gives you an earful. You say, is that right? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you one day. You know what? I'm, I'm going I'm to be nice. I'll give you two days to go to brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, and you fix it with them and have them come to me and let me know, hey, everything is good. Because if I don't hear from them in two days, I'm going to the pastor, and the pastor will be coming to see you. You want to have them stop talking and bring gossip to you? You put them on front street. You tell them you're bringing it to me, you fix it with that person, or I'm going to bring it to the pastor and let him fix it all. You stop that gossip. That gossip, that gossip is not what you want to get caught up in. <clears throat> so avoiding your joy thieves of gossip. Lack of prayer is another joy thief. Fear of the future or living in the past. Don't let those things steal your joy. Look, you are who you are. Don't worry about your past. It's all under the blood. And don't worry about the future because if God's calling you to do something, he's going to give you the strength to finish what he's called you to. Don't think that you can't get something done. It's not in you anyways. You're not going to accomplish anything in your flesh. It's all through the Spirit. The, the Spirit is going to carry you through. And if he's calling you to do something, you step out in faith and let God carry Don't worry about the details. God has a perfect roadmap to what he has called you to do. So we want to be uh, watching for those joy thieves. Uh, another thing, re- remain teachable. You want to avoid that hardened heart? Remain teachable. Proverbs 19.20 talks about hearing counsel and receiving instruction. Don't think you've learned everything because you haven't. You ask Pastor Ben, or uh, Brother Brandon, you ask Pastor Anania, have you learned everything yet, brother? No, not yet. You know when you are? When you're dead. So you stop learning when you're dead because then you'll be as Christ is. You'll be perfect. Because until you get there, you ain't arrived yet. Stop thinking you've, you've got. I, I heard a pastor once say, or my pastor said, some man of God said that he had preached everything he preached in the Bible in 10 years. He done bumped his head. I, I tell you what, man, there is so much to learn. And I tell my wife all the time, I tell people, the greatest thing about the Bible being so real is that as many times as you read it, and my wife, does, I do this to her, and, and it, it's funny every time. I'll read something, and I'm going through something, and then all of a sudden it's brand new. I've never seen it before, and I'll say, hey, 
Hey, look, 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 look. Have you seen this? Have you, did you see it? She goes, yeah, I thought we'd been there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's not that I haven't read it, but look, you can read any kind of book you want. And I tell people, I read this book, Island of the Blue Dolphins, as a kid from fourth grade to 12th grade. And I did book reports every year on the same book. And I knew exactly what was going to happen in that book. Every single page I turned was the same every time. The same heroine, the same villains, the same plot, nothing changed. But you know what? When I read my Bible, it's new every day. It speaks to me new. Why? Because it's alive. The Lord, when he wants me to see something special, may, I might read this a hundred times. The pastor might preach it a hundred times, but a hundred and one, when I'm in trouble, he speaks to me. He speaks to me. So remain teachable. So a- along with remaining teachable, you stay in your Bible. Lastly, remember what you left behind and where you would be without Christ. You want to avoid that hard heart? If we were to go around this room tonight and ask for testimonies of where you might been or where you have been, that alone should stare you to stay right next to the Lord. I'll tell you that right now. Look, I won't put my wife's testimony out there. I will tell you this. I came up in a Lutheran home that was somewhat faithful, didn't know salvation if it would have bit me. But praise the Lord, I found him in March of 1989 on Easter Sunday. I was 18 years old. And uh, I trusted the Lord as my Savior. But by the grace of God, I had a taste of the world, but I didn't have the addictions that the world offered. By, only by the grace of God, I didn't fall into those, those traps. My wife, on the other hand, she got, easy, brother. This has got to be careful. Uh, she got saved when she was 12 years old through a bus ministry, and she got saved on the streets of Ontario out of a church out of Pomona. Did I get it right? Oh, man, I always mess it up. That, that whole Inland Empire, San Bernardino, is a mess anyway. It's all clumped together. But she got saved. But her life from 12 years old into her early 20s was a mess. She had a failed marriage, an abusive marriage. She had some undesirable things in her life that were railroading her and could have cost her her life. But by the grace of God that had saved her at 12, she was able to find him and work a relationship. Because remember, your salvation is more than a fire insurance policy. It's a relationship. You get married and have a ring on. If you get a ring on, what is it if you have a ring? And I don't have mine on. It's a long story. If you ain't got your ring, if you got your ring on but you ain't got the relationship, what's that worth? You get married and your wife's 3,000 miles away and you don't work a relationship, what good is it? So why are you going to get a fire insurance policy and not work with him to grow a relationship. Any plant that you have, if you don't add water to it, and the nutrients are going to die. Well, how do you think your relationship with Jesus Christ is going to be if you don't work with it? We work with our relationship. So when you get this situation about a hardened heart, you don't want to get back to that area. Think of what you've been delivered from. God has been so good to every single one of us. Whether you had to go through turmoil to get to where you are, or that God had the grace in your life that you didn't have to go through those things. You want to avoid a hard heart. You, all you've got to do is stop and remember, you've been delivered. You're a child of the king. You've got a savior that loves you and has done everything he can. He died on that cross. When he did this, he did everything for me. He would have done that if there was no other person in this world. He would have done it for me. Let me ask you, how's your heart doing? How is your heart tonight? Do you have a heart that's hardened? Are you indifferent? Do you care where America's going? Because a lot of people say, oh, well, America's going the wrong way. America's going the wrong way. But you know what? We sit back and do nothing. How's that clerk down at the uh, store that you guys visit all the time? 
How's your coworkers where you work? Do you really love them? Or are you paying them lip service? How's your heart tonight? Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you so much for so much that you do. I am so unworthy for the things that you put in my life, and yet you loved me to die for me, Lord. I, I, I can't thank you enough for all you do in my life, Lord. I, I, am, I, I can't put it into words, Lord. I love you so much. Thank you for all you do. I pray, Lord, that you would work in the lives of each person here tonight, that you would challenge them, Lord, to look at their heart, to see if they truly have a heart to serve you, that they truly have a desire to see folks saved, not only saved, Lord, but growing as a disciple that would be used of you, that we would go out, Lord, and we would reach others before it's eternally too late. I thank you so much, Lord, for all you do. It's in your name I pray.